Hey everybody, Brian Bergman here. Before we get into this episode, I just wanted to say that we made this one into a two-parter because our guest Jackie Subek of Hey Jackpot had such a mountain of information that we just couldn't stop it in a normal amount of time. So after part one, stay tuned for part two. And now on to the episode, part one with Jackie Subek. Welcome. We're so happy to be back here for yet another Nolan Hyman podcast. As we're here today, I'm with my partner, Wendy Hyman Nunez again. My name is Brian Bergman, and we're also here with our other partner from the firm, Nick Rosenberg. But a special excitement, what we're really happy to talk about with today is Jackie Subek, who we can't wait to introduce you to. She has been an advocate and warrior for mostly the California cannabis industry, but the cannabis industry as a whole for many years now and has a incredibly interesting background that we're going to delve into a little bit more today. But we did want to talk more and more about how this intersection of out-of-home entertainment and cannabis consumption is going to be and where better place to start than using events and trying to have some sort of consumption around something you're doing out of a home. Since we are more of a California-based firm, we figured California would be a great place to start, but each state has its own different rules and regulations. So other states like Michigan, we have a client there that's doing some event licenses as well, and there are other states coming online. So while we're looking at California today, it could be different in each state that you're in. So anyway, just to remind you who I am, I'm Brian Bergman. I'm a partner here at Nolan Hyman LLP that has been working with cannabis businesses and ancillary service providers and investors for many years now. And I've been very excited about the intersection of out-of-home entertainment and cannabis. And I know so has my partner, Wendy, who she introduced herself last time, but let's hear from her again, Wendy. Why don't you tell us why this is so neat for you as well? Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Hyman Nunes. I head up the location-based entertainment and immersive experience division of Nolan Hyman. My entire career has been focused on those areas, which is any form of entertainment that's out of home, whether it's museums, touring productions, theme parks, immersive experiences, you name it. That's been the entirety of my career. And it's been a passion project of mine to merge the cannabis lifestyle, which is much more than the commodity of the weed itself, but everything that goes along with it, uh, entertainment itself, there's a lot of connection and out of home entertainment. Sometimes people experience those experiences qualitatively differently when they're engaging in cannabis versus uh, let's say alcohol. And so I'm very passionate about both the opportunities from the business standpoint, increasing profitability, increasing market awareness, increasing the people that come through the door, ticket sales, and then also just enhancing the consumer experience by virtue of merging these interesting areas together. But before we get to Jackie, I'm going to let Nick say a quick hello and represent the great state of Maryland. Oh, the great, you know, when people think of great states, they think of California and Maryland. So uh, I'm Nick Rosenberg. I am the music partner here at Nolan Hyman. Um, and my practice consists, you know, primarily of working, uh, working with talent, producers, songwriters, artists, you know, in the music industry, but then also, you know, other, other creatives in television and personalities and influencers and, you know, people like that. And this space is really interesting to me for uh, 
you know, several reasons. I think the first of which is like, there's obviously a natural sort of connection between cannabis and music. If you've ever been to a show and heard somebody say, hey, who's got a joint? I mean, you know that this is part of, of music. You know, the other thing that really sort of jumps out at me is the opportunities for uh, for artists to, uh, you know, be entrepreneurs in this space. And particularly, I think, with artists of color, because in talking to people in the industry, a lot of people are focused on trying as best they can to right the wrongs that happened as a result of sort of failed drug policy from, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s and, and onward, which now we're starting to realize and um, fix. And as a result, want to you know, create opportunities for not just for artists, but for people, uh, people of color, what have you. And I think that is a, it's potentially a really great opportunity. Social justice is a huge part of the industry and something that's very much watched on. And it's definitely a component of this. Uh, in fact, we even work with somebody out in Michigan who he's doing it from a background of social justice and trying to be a minority owned business and do it in a way to address those issues even while doing his events, which is really exciting. Um, but we're here to talk to Ms. Subek here. Jackie Subek, why don't you just give us a brief introduction first about who you are and what your company is, and then we can really get into this whole discussion about really what that first piece like Nick said, which is the idea of, well, okay, how do we monetize this space around what happens out of home and after you've consumed and how and where can you consume? Thank you. Hi, everybody. So nice to be here today. Um, my name is Jackie Subek. I have a long history here. I think that's really um, going to be interesting to talk about today. So I'm currently uh, in, have been in the cannabis space now for uh, a little over seven years in California. I started in actually the event space, ironically, and have come kind of come full circle. In the very beginning, when I got in, I started throwing B2B cannabis events so that business or future business owners could meet each other and talk and we could all learn and get educated. And this was all pre-legalization and pre-regulation. So we didn't really even, nobody even understood what some of these things ultimately were going to look like. So it was a great opportunity for us to sort of get schooled together. And um, so we did that. I did that for about two years. Um, those were the parties in those the were, alley. Yeah. Those were the alley parties. <laughs> now I know what was going on in the back well, You can always find us in the back alleys. And uh, that's where we are because up until recent, no kind of legal cannabis consumption uh, space has been even available. And so that's something I've actually been working on. My background, before I go into that, is kind of relevant here because I actually come from the music industry. And so having spent a decade and a half in the music industry, in that space, understanding not just events, but social gatherings and culture, counterculture, all those sorts of things come into play when you're talking about cannabis and music, which of course those dots have been connected forever. But they were never brought to the surface, partly because some of the things that Nick was saying, which was that we had a war on drugs. And so it was considered, you know, taboo and uh, scary and dangerous and fearful. And so therefore, Wendy, we ended up in the back alley. <laughs> which, by the way, you can still find us there today because that is still sometimes the only legal and i have quotes so no people at home can't see me but legal legal uh, spaces to smoke it's the least uh chances we have from getting busted <laughs> yeah i mean it, it it's uh it's a real interesting situation where we look at each state and how 
the idea of on-site consumption is still so early in its uh, in its infancy, really, as far as like allowing it to happen, Jackie. I mean, really, I, I there are, as I see it, essentially two ways in California to create consumption on site. And one of the ways is through a consumption lounge and you have to get licensed in California to get such a lounge. A lounge will be a permanent structure that actually allows for cannabis to be consumed in its various forms. And in doing that, there's a lot of hiccups. In fact, you have worked with uh, West Hollywood, which they're now trying to call the Emerald Village in a lot of detail in trying to uh, work on these consumption lounge licenses. So why don't you talk a little bit about those experiences that you've had with the local municipality like that, that is cannabis friendly and sort of what the pluses and minuses of this license. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so West Hollywood, California, for those who don't know, is a small little city that's come somewhat of an island in the middle of the city of Los Angeles. We're surrounded on three sides by LA and on one side by Beverly Hills. And Beverly Hills actually has a ban on cannabis. So we don't have to worry about anything over there. And the city of LA is gigantic. So here we are, we've got 37,000 residents, we're 1.9 square miles. And, um, but we have a very progressive city council and we've always been on the forefront here of new ideas. And actually West Hollywood, just to give them a little props, was the first uh, location in California to have a medical marijuana dispensary way back in the day at this point. They were on the cutting edge uh, all the time. And so uh, back in 2015, when we saw that the legalization was likely going to happen, which it did in November of 2016, I started having conversations with our uh, city council and discuss this idea because again I come from the music world so I wanted to take music and cannabis and put them together legally and figure out a way to do that so I brought this idea to them of hey how about consumption lounges and it took a minute to warm everybody up to it but about a year and a half later we wrote an ordinance and we created a licensing system and those cannabis consumption lounges became real at least on paper at that point and we had two different kinds originally which was one was a full smoking vaping lounge you could consume and uh, any cannabis in any form the other one was restricted to edibles only and the intention was to be able to have a chef on site perform live live infusions of cannabis into fresh food and serve that to your customers only california uh the state doesn't allow that yet so because we're just we're we're, we're a few years away from that anyway so because of that i had to go back to west hollywood with a couple of the other folks and we ran a ballot measure uh to get what we needed taken care of which was to get smoking and vaping added onto our licenses so now in west hollywood you've got a platform of two different license types that both can do the same things but the difference between them is one is based around a retail store so you have a dispensary and then you have a lounge where you can buy product in the dispensary walk over to the lounge and smoke it or eat it or drink it the other model is a standalone, much more like a bar, a lounge, a restaurant, where you probably will have food uh, regular food not cannabis infused food you could sell pre-packaged pre-tested infused foods so that the customers could then add that to their own food. For example, if you wanted to sell and serve tacos, you could serve some tacos and you could manufacture a, an infused hot sauce, let's say, have it packaged up, sell it to your customers, and just like any other condiment at the table, they could break it open and pour it onto their tacos. That's the way around that today. But what's unique about these is these are two legal environments for the first time in history, at least in this country, 
where somebody doesn't have to look over their shoulder and think, hey, who's judging me? Who's, what's the stigma? And am I going to get you know, arrested by the cops when I step out the door? So that's been a really big deal in being able to have consumption, standalone brick and mortar facilities. That concept turned into and led to what we really want to talk about today, which is the events, um, which is a temporary space for having cannabis consumption. So I, I will stop there, but I wanted to just see, show everybody the difference between these types of models. Jackie, I have a question because I think West Hollywood being so cutting edge, it lends insight into where we you know, all may be heading in the future. What was the greatest motivators in allowing these propositions to pass? Um, was it economic impact, job creation, induction of tourism? What were some of the things that motivated these politicians to allow this uh, new type of business enter their community? Yes. <laughs> it was all of those things. Um, it was in the case of West Hollywood. So again, we've got 37,000 residents, but pre-COVID, we had four and a half million visitors every year. So West Hollywood in itself is a tourist destination. We have hundreds of bars and restaurants here dozens and dozens of hotels. We have an environment that is ready for such a thing. And we border, again, we border LA, we border Hollywood. We are really close to the studios. Um, so it is a great place for people to come, stay, whether it's temporary or long-term and while they're working or just visiting. And so that was part of it was to, yes, we wanted to bring in more tax revenue. Every city wants to do that. But yes, we also, as West Hollywood, was so connected to cannabis culture because of the AIDS crisis back in the uh, 80s and 90s, which then led to medical marijuana being legal or partially legal in California, which created the dispensaries, which created what we're doing today. So having all of that passed... Uh, it just seemed like a logical thing for West Hollywood between the tourism and the history of uh, medical marijuana. It, it was just a, a logical place to do this. So I think everybody was on board once they understood what the concepts were. Yeah. And in California, it's really interesting because a lot of the way the California regulatory scheme is set up, and it might not be the same on every state. Some states do it more at the state level, but there is a state level to licensing that's really important. But then the state has allowed each of its local jurisdictions, its counties, its cities, uh, its unincorporated areas and what have you to have its own set of regulations and determine whether to ban or regulate cannabis activity. And you know, there's other places beyond West Hollywood in California, for instance, where they're very bullish and very much talking and looking into cannabis tourism and as a whole. And one of those components is the on-site consumption. And that's what the lounge is for. The idea of a bud and breakfast where, where you can actually be at a hotel where like smoking is encouraged or like, but then there's also other things that come up as well besides that. What if you wanna go on a tour? Or what if you want to like try and do something like a wine tasting somewhere where you go to a uh, uh, you go to a cultivator and, and their facility, you get a tour and you actually would then be able to try and test the taste what you actually got to see out of the farm or something like that. That we're still behind here in California and they're starting to get to that. But in general right now, what we do have besides the lounge license, which is what you can think about as the 
set site permanent consumption lounge area, which is coming online in some places, but it's still very slow because some jurisdictions are still not sure what that means and they're worried about creating places of consumption and how it's not going to be a nuisance. Uh, so that's one thing that we're working on as an industry. But secondarily, it's like, well, okay, what about the idea of an event? What about the idea of a, a temporary thing where you go to an immersive experience like that Van Gogh museum that was out there for a while showing that sort of uh, neat experience going on? And maybe you came before that. Client. Yes, it was a client. Or maybe <laughs> you uh, want to go to one of Nick's client's festivals and you want to have an experience tent where you get to go and have a place to consume and like maybe do something else related to the cannabis before you go into the concert itself. Well, how would you do that in California? Not so easy still, but we're working on it. We have what's known as an event organizer license. The event organizer license, which is something that our good friend Jackie has and is really exciting, is somebody who helps maintain the space higher security, gets the required signs, lets the Department of Cannabis Control, which is our state regulation authority, uh, know what's going on and show the layouts of the event. But we still, she st they still have to work with other distributors for transporting the cannabis. Only licensed retailers that are signed up can do events and sell the goods during events. And there's still a lot of packaging displays and sampling and rules and regulations that still have to be followed. And in fact, you have to get a temporary event license at least 60 days in advance. But here's the kicker. It can only be places that are actually locally approved by the jurisdiction, which is typically a fairground or some other set place. So Jackie, you have an event license. Why don't we talk a little bit about what you can and can't do in California today with one of those. And before we do that though, please tell us your company. <laughs> okay. Well, my company name is Hey Jackpot. Uh, and that is me. I, uh, uh, will answer to jackpot. Um, so, um, yeah, so, and my, and what Hey Jackpot does essentially is I'm a, I'm a cannabis consultant and I'm a cannabis advocate. So those things to me go hand in hand. I help other businesses get started. I also help advocate and lobby for the policy to support those businesses. So that is my general day-to-day -day work. In addition to my own licenses, um, I do also have a consumption lounge license in West Hollywood, but we're at least a year or two probably away from being open. And I have an event license, uh, which is a state license. In 2017, we had this big realization that the state was developing the cannabis regulations, but all of the events were locked to brick and mortar, except that the regulation for a dispensary was you can't have any consumption on its floor. So you had this catch 22 where nothing could actually happen. So we presented, me and another woman uh, in the industry, presented this idea to the state and said, hey, what if we had a cannabis event license that you could do events anywhere? Because they're not going to be locked to a brick and mortar. And it, we ended up writing the regulations for the state. They adopted a good portion of them and, um, and off we went. And so the idea is to be able to have a cannabis event at all levels. So you've got your big 30,000 people for the weekend kind of Emerald Cups or Cannabis Cup sort of events, high times, whatever they are. But what happens to all the events that are 100 people, 200 people, 500 people, smaller events, even 50 people? What if you want to be able to have a cannabis event? Well, your challenge that you or the first question everyone needs to ask themselves when they're having an event is, do I want to sell? cannabis at the event, meaning can cannabis be retailed at the event? Or 
Is it simply going to be a consumption only event? Yeah, and that's a good point. If it's an educational or non-consumption event, I should point out real quickly, you don't need a license for that. So if you're doing non-consumption, but it's cannabis related, no license necessary, but come on. Well, right. And the truth is, is that you don't really need a license if you're only going to do a consumption event too. And what I mean by a license is a state license. You may need a local permit, so you may still need to be talking to your local jurisdiction, but if you're only going to do consumption and there's no sales, the state doesn't actually care about it because the state wants their tax revenues. That's it. They only care about the revenues that are coming off the sale. There's no there's no regulation in California for cannabis consumption. It's left up to each local jurisdiction. So, you know, which is which presents an interesting scenario. So if you want to have an event like the kind you were talking about, let's say it's you know, the, where as opposed to going to an event, you have some food and there's, you can go buy a glass of wine or a beer or or a drink. We want to be able to take away that alcohol and say, no, I'd like to be able to go buy a cannabis beverage or a pre-roll or a, a dab, you know, uh, one, one dab, uh, uh, or, or anything like that. We want to be able to have those re that retail ability at the event itself. That's when you're required to have a cannabis license, uh, event organizer license. There might be some more questions about that if it's a public facing event with tickets versus a non-ticketed event. There might still need to be some if it is a public event. And also you can't have alcohol and tobacco sales in the same place as your cannabis. That is correct. So I want to use your your, your, um, example a minute ago of the uh, fairgrounds. One of the things that the fairgrounds used to do to get around the alcohol situation too was create a beer garden in the center of the event. And when you submit your diagrams for the uh, premises, for what's going to be your licensed cannabis premises for the event, you would carve out that theoretical beer garden, meaning no cannabis goes into the beer garden, no beer comes out, right? It's just a one-stop shop, do your business and, and go back to the event. Um, same thing could be done the other direction. If you have an event that already exists, a music festival, and of course you're going to have beer and, and a liquor license at your music festival. Well, in the state of California, cannabis and alcohol cannot be sold or served in the same place. So you're going to have to create some somewhat of a pop-up outside of the premises diagram that has been submitted for that event. And then you are now in a 100% con- cannabis controlled, cannabis regulated compliance space that uh, has everything from air filtration and odor mitigation to security, right? So then, then you've got a great cannabis space to be able to have people go in and purchase and consume all in the safety of that one area. And that's what I'm looking to do in the future here is to be able to start working together with these music companies and big festivals to who really want to push the envelope a little bit to actually create one of these things, build these things up and start to make it so that it's more normalized. Yeah. And the other thing that's really going on right now at the regulatory level is groups like Cannabis Travel Association International and others out there are really working to try and get um, a more private temporary event license as well, so that you're not being limited to just the large scale venues and trying to find a way to create a more smaller, almost a catering license, if you will, which again, this is all something that cities and, and, and other states have, they're still far behind in looking at, but some states are looking into this. And I wanna keep bringing that up because I know we have listeners from all over. And while we're talking about California today as a test study, if you will, there's obviously plenty of other things going on in different states. And the idea here though, is get creative and think about how you would wanna work with these types of 
licenses and use them in ways other than what's already being done. And so there are those out there doing that. You know, Wendy and Nick, this is exciting. And uh, I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on things more from looking at what maybe more immersive experience companies are doing or some of the artists that are looking to monetize this uh, other ways. What kind of questions would you have for Jackie? One of the things that just sort of jumped out at me when you were describing how you could have uh, cannabis sale and cannabis consumption at an event, and you said that it would have to be in a different footprint outside the event. Does that necessarily have to be outside of the gates of the event? Like besides the ticket, like where does it go? Practically? Yeah. And so if you think of a, a, you have a space, let's just make up space here. Let's say it's, it's a, a big giant football field and you want to carve that space up and you're going to have an event, you're going to have to submit a drawing of what your floor plan is going to be for that event to your local jurisdiction. Say, Hey, here's our plan. Here's where cannabis is going to be. Here's where you know, alcohol is going to be, and they're going to be in separate spaces. So the licensed cannabis premises, let's say it was a corner of that football field is not controlled by anybody who's doing the rest of the football field. You are in hundred percent control of that little corner and you have to be in full compliance in that corner of that field where the rest of the event is happening in the rest of the field. So you're still within the gates, but when they submitted those drawings at the beginning, they left out that corner, left it just, it was just like, they didn't, they didn't draw that into their diagram. Right. So, but it, it could be run by the same person who's running the event though. Correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. It can be run by the same person. However, it gets a little sticky because a cannabis event organizer license doesn't allow the cannabis event organizer to collect any revenues from the sales of those of, of the cannabis that happens unless they are also licensed as a state licensed retailer or micro business or any of the state licenses. So if you have somebody that just has an event organizer license and they don't hold any of the other licenses, they're not actually allowed to, to receive any monies uh, from any, any sale of product. So if you have a company that's sitting on top of those two things, it could get a little, a little hairy on how to deal with it. So, it's always best probably, and I, I would leave it to the lawyers on this call, but probably always best to have two separate companies operating that kind of environment just for compliance purposes. But you could bring in a vendor though, right? Absolutely. And I could say, could I charge the vendor for being being the vendor in there? Yeah. You just can't collect off the actual retail sales. Anything that's going to go in. Could I sell a, a ticket upcharge for people to get to go into the cannabis space? Yes. I just couldn't make money from the actual sale of the product, cannabis transaction, anything that's going to be logged into the state's track and trace system into metric. Uh, you cannot take any revenues from, but yes, you could find all kinds of other avenues to, uh, to collect those revenues. And, you know, Wendy, you might be able to talk about that too, with some of these immersive experiences, there's probably countless other ways to create revenues from this situation. So that was part one of our interview with Jackie Subek. We'll catch you in part two where we present some hypotheticals to Jackie and otherwise talk and debunk some of the myths and misconceptions surrounding cannabis events and what you can and can't do. Can't wait to share them with you.